Welcome to the Egyptian Streets podcast. I'm your host, Noron Morsi, writer and podcast producer at Egyptian Streets. Each week, we invite a notable Egyptian to talk with us as we explore the intersection between Egyptian identity and creative social change from an artistic, educational, or cultural perspective. Today, joining me is co-host Mary Aravanes. Yes, hello, hi. Uh, I'm Mary, as uh, Noran was saying. I write for Egyptian Streets, and my main focus uh, usually revolves around arts and culture. I'm very excited because joining us today is Nur Imam, the wonderful uh, human behind This Is Mother Being. So Nur is quite the multi-hyphenate. She's a birthing doula, a sex educator online. She does online courses for women in Egypt on periods, sex ed, birthing, and um, she works a lot with pregnancy as a birthing doula. Uh, she also creates content online for social media that is available to everyone on her Instagram account. So stay tuned for the interview. Do you want to hear something very freaky that just happened right now? Yes. <laughs> I, I, just, I just opened Instagram and the first thing on my feed is Egyptian streets. <laughs> wow. Stop spying. It's working on our favor for once. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> the question I ask everyone for will just to like get to know you. What's what's a typical day in your life like after you have your breakfast? Well, um, usually breakfast isn't the first thing I do in the morning. So I start my day with a coffee, fixing my daughter's breakfast while she's having breakfast. That's when I'm usually answering emails in the morning. And um, afterwards, I have breakfast and then we get about our day. We go to a playground, we meet family. Um, so a typical day for me working would kind of look like what I was just saying. I I usually am my daughter's primary caretaker. So if she's awake, I'm with her. We're playing. We're going out, running errands. She goes back, naps like she is right now. And that's usually a time slot where I schedule in either clients or interviews or work that needs to get done content creation during the two hours that she's asleep in she wakes up I cook I play I bathe her we read books and I put her to sleep around nine um, and that's when my work day kind of starts uh, especially with content creation and research I start working at 9 p.m. onwards, usually until around 1.30 or 2 a.m. If I have clients or I'm teaching classes, usually my husband will come home a bit earlier um, from work because he works late and he'll take over the bedtime uh, and dinner for our daughter and I'll go to the office and do my classes. Very busy day. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned both content creation and clients. Can you tell us about your clients? Like we know you're a doula, maybe some of the listeners may not. So can you tell us about that? What your 
work as a doula is like? And what is a doula for those who don't know? So traditionally, a doula is a woman who supports or a person who supports a woman giving birth. My training allowed me to um, certify as a full spectrum doula, meaning that I can support fertility, birth and postpartum clients. Uh, so it was a very extensive training uh, that spanned across five months. Um, but in in my area, I would usually support uh, couples through pregnancy during their birth. I'm there uh, supporting the mom either physically through massage and acupressure and aromatherapy and just like um, positive reinforcement. Or I support her informationally by explaining everything that's happening around her. If there are decisions that need to be made, she's always informed. And of course, emotional support uh, is a very big factor in um, a doula's role because we try and provide a safe space for um, the couple um, while they're at the hospital because hospitals can, um, can get quite stressful for people. And we try to be that safe bubble for them or to create the safe bubble for them. Um, Whether it's setting up the room in the hospital by putting on some music and uh, turning down the the shades so the room is nice and dark and creating a nice uh, atmosphere. Or it could be just making sure that no one enters the room um, so that the couple can have their privacy during labor. Um, afterwards we, um, I tend to support the client one last time, uh, after she's given birth. So I go visit her at home, um, during the first week postpartum. And, um, that's a time when, uh, a couple can ask me questions about the baby. I can show them how to bathe the baby, how to change the diaper, uh, how to burp, all those like new parent questions that every new parent has. Um, that's what I'm there for. I will, I usually also monitor the mom's breastfeeding. So I check and see if she's uh, breastfeeding correctly, if she needs adjustments with the baby's latch. Um, and we can address any issues that have come up for her, uh, since the birth. Um, and obviously there's a huge emotional aspect to the postpartum visit as well. So, we do extensive birth debriefing. So I want to hear her experience. I want to hear what the birth was like for her uh, a week down the line. Is it still a positive experience for her? What were her comments? What could have been done better uh, either through the hospital or the doctor or even myself? I really enjoy taking on um, constructive feedback from my clients. And that's usually when our um, professional relationship ends as a doula. So that's a very hands-on experience. Yeah, <laughs> extremely. <laughs> <laughs> when does it start? Sort of, is it from the like the month that the the woman finds out she's pregnant? Well, is it more down the line when she's about to give birth? Do you get uh, involved? No. So usually. Um, it's really a case by case thing. So some couples can come visit me while they're still trying to conceive uh, during their fertility journey. Um, and this couple, if they do end up getting pregnant, they might contact 
contact me immediately after they find out that they're they're uh, expecting. Uh, usually I don't book a client or like take a deposit before the client reaches 12 weeks in her pregnancy um, just to make sure that she's out of the woods in terms of miscarriage risks, uh, etc. Because early miscarriages are very common, especially during the first, um, the first pregnancy. Uh, so I don't usually take deposits until a client is 12 weeks pregnant. Uh, but I do get booked in advance very quickly. So for instance, I'm now fully booked for January, fully booked for April. So it really depends uh, on how quickly a client reaches me. If she's past the 12 week mark, then I can take the deposit and secure her due date. And we start working together um, around the time where she's maybe around, I want to say 35 weeks. So um, in the eighth month, of pregnancy that's when we would start our work together which is we we usually have two um sessions before the birth that are very very hands-on very extensive about birth preparation postpartum preparation breastfeeding c-sections all the stuff um and that's a good time where we get to know each other before the birth um a lot of the times I will accompany a couple once to their doctor's visit so that we are all in the same room together before the birth. Even if I know the doctor, even if we work together all the time, I still like for the couple to be able to see the dynamic between me and the doctor. Um, and that usually gives them a lot of comfort. And um, and then I'm on call. So just like a doctor. So starting around 38 weeks or so, anytime the client feels like she's in labor, even if it's three in the morning, she calls me. I have a bag that's ready and packed to go to the hospital and I leave and usually don't know when I'm coming back, but I usually come back after the baby's born. It sounds like doula work uh, entails a lot of uh, responsibility responsibility, and it's uh, quite time consuming and uh, of course, you have to try to find a way to balance uh, doing all of that with uh, your own personal life as well. So and everything that you do uh, on a daily basis. Uh, so I was just wondering, how does it work exactly? Like how many clients, for example, can you take on uh, per month, for example? Absolutely. So I would say my absolute maximum is four clients a month. Because every client needs, like, I need to have a buffer space before and after this client's due date because most clients will not go into labor on their due dates. So um, it's very much a wait and see kind of uh, situation. And it can get a bit stressful if I have too many clients in one month because there may be a risk of overlap. Um, there may be a risk that I'll have uh, two births happening at the same time. Uh, so I generally try and space out um, the due dates comfortably so that I know for sure, like, they're not likely to go into labor at the same time. Um, so I would say maximum four clients a month, uh, usually around two to three. Uh, is my average that I would do because I'm also not just a full-time doula. I'm a 
full-time educator, I'm a content creator, and I'm a full-time mom as well. My daughter doesn't go to nursery yet. Um, but I think for now, uh, this is my sweet spot. And in the future, uh, as the business progresses, I'm definitely in the coming months going to start recruiting other doulas uh, to work uh, as part of the mother being team um, so that I'm not the only one who has to attend births because there's only one of me and there are millions of women in Cairo giving birth. Um, so I think it would make more sense to have a lot of doulas of top quality who are working alongside of me who can also be there for clients uh, at birth. I think that's a great segue to mother being. So can you tell us what is mother being the education side, the content creation side? Um, what does that mean to you? So mother being started as just like a name for my uh, doula business or my maternity services business. Um, and it quickly uh, morphed into this huge platform. I don't know how this happened. Um, but my incentive to create a, a social media platform was because when I was researching about doulas in Egypt, I couldn't find anyone because most doulas who practice in Egypt have zero social media presence or very minimal. And it wasn't easy to find information uh, that was specific to here. Like you could research a lot about birth and pregnancy that's in the United States or in the UK or in Europe and so on. Uh, but you could never really find information that was specific to, um, to Egypt. And so I thought, yeah, okay, I can be serving my clients, but I also want to be giving, I want to give back to the community uh, through content that's free and easy to understand and just creates more awareness around the body, creates awareness around birth and your rights as a woman uh, in birth, because this is something that we lack severely here in Egypt, um, is that women don't realize uh, what rights they have uh, during their birth. And they just assume that the doctors are the ones who um, kind of make the decisions for them. Um, and then it just quickly morphed into like, oh, okay, so I'm talking about pregnancy and birth, but most women don't even know how they got pregnant. So I need to start talking about fertility. Uh, I need to start talking about periods. I need to start talking about sexuality. They're all connected in a way. It's not something that you can isolate and talk about in a vacuum. Um, because if you want an empowered birth, or if you want to feel in control of your birth, or have a water birth, or an unmedicated birth, or whatever you want, you can't really have that if you don't have the basic knowledge and understanding of how your body functions and how your body works. And so it was kind of an organic evolution of mother being as an Instagram platform that was like, okay, then I need to talk about this. Oh, so I have women who are asking about periods. I need to talk about periods. I need to create a class about that. I need to create a class about childbirth education and so on and so forth. So mother being is just, has really turned into this platform that um, that's main goal and aim is to empower and uh, liberate women of the MENA region through education um, surrounding their bodies and their reproductive and sexual health. 
So Noor, of course, uh, a lot of the topics that you you do tackle uh, through mother being uh, maybe somewhat of a taboo in in Egypt and Egyptian society in general. So like talking about periods and discussing sexuality and all of those sorts of things. So uh, I was wondering what what has it been like for you to navigate around those topics uh, through your platform with, you know, uh, Egyptian society, with the people uh, that engage with you on your platform? What has, what has that been like? So I think, I think I've generally always been the kind of person who liked to push people's buttons or like push the envelope of what's normal and what's not um or what's socially acceptable and what's not <clears throat> so i've always um done things uh, or done things in a very rebellious spirit i'm not saying that mother being is a rebellion act but yeah it kind of is um so i what what i'm trying to say is that a lot of the topics that i uh, showcase or talk about on the page are yes very well researched um not scripted at all, actually. Uh, usually my videos are one take kind of thing, but they do require weeks of research before I come out with a big um, with a big topic. Um, but my issue is that I'm very spontaneous. And this is, I think, what my, what my husband uh, always keeps telling me is like, don't talk about this. This is only going to bring you trouble, which, which it has at, at the moment. Um, that... I just post the thing and I know it's going to cause uh, like it's going to break the internet probably but I think I've reached a point where um, I don't know whether it's anger or frustration that all of us or so many of us are in the dark when it comes to our bodies and about things that should be inherently normal to talk about Um, and so I think it's a big like it's a big statement from my end, like, you know what, I'm just going to talk about it and uh, let the hate come in and the reports and the flagging and all the stuff that I'm currently dealing with happen, but someone needs to do it and it might as well be me. During your uh, classes and your free online content, you have a lot of communication with the community, with the women of Egypt, with the girls of Egypt when you're trying to disseminate this information that maybe a lot of us don't know or aren't as familiar with because of the education in Egypt and um, even just the like family traditions and everything like that, was there any specific piece of information that kind of surprised you or shocked you that uh, something like a, like a myth or uh, something that's widely understood that's completely false about maybe the female body was there anything specific that surprised you that made you even more sure of your mission to educate yeah I think generally um the things that keep surprising me but now it's kind of turned into things that make me very sad and very angry um is that women are told that for instance painful periods are a normal part of being a woman and that this is just something that she has to live with. Like we're talking about women and girls who tell me that they need pain meds in form of injections, that they need to sometimes be hospitalized because of the pain that they throw up um, on their periods. This is not normal. 
And it makes me very angry to hear that parents um, are refusing to get their daughters um, the care that they need um, by seeing a doctor. A lot of parents forbid their their daughters to see OBGYNs, even though they might be suffering from severe um, infections or irritations and so on and so forth, or myths surrounding like virginity and like you can't jump, you can't ride bicycles, you can't ride horses, masturbation takes away your virginity, all of that stuff just makes me think of how much our society is revolves around making women feel like they need to live in fear and or shame um, about their bodies. So going back in time a bit, I wanted to ask you when your journey started with this. So maybe what did you study in university and when did that uh, decision to become a doula come into play? So my studies in university and my master's were uh, completely different. I was uh, I was a musician and I uh, graduated uh, from Goldsmiths in London um, with a master of music in um, in sound arts. I oh, wow. did that for yeah I did that for a while. Um, I was a I was a full time musician up until I got pregnant. Um, I mainly played uh, in Europe, not in Egypt, because uh, people wouldn't book me here in Egypt because my music was too experimental. <laughs> but um, but I was I was earning a good living by playing gigs in Europe, and that was great for a while. But it wasn't satisfying me as much as I thought it would. Um, I would always tell my husband, like, what am I giving back to? people or the community or like when I'm old and gray what am I going to say that I did I played all the clubs in the world great so what so I've always had this need to do or like um, be involved in a type of work that impacted people and um, and that kind of brought me back to when I was in school I was always interested in um in medicine, in obstetrics and gynecology in particular, but um, I never had the grades to, to even apply to med school. And my family was very anti-med school, like, don't throw your life away, please. And so I never pursued it. And then at some point I started, I think I read one time the word doula and I was like, oh, what, what is that? And so I started researching about like natural physiological birth, um, and that was around the time where my husband and I decided to have our daughter or like to get pregnant. Um, and through my journey during pregnancy and an early miscarriage before I had my daughter, um, I had a very um, traumatic birth and postpartum experience. I had postpartum depression that was very severe and I was only able to diagnose it around seven or eight months postpartum. I realized like, what the hell is happening? How can I, how is there no support here for women? How can I help other women to not go through this? And so I kind of went back to this whole doula idea. Um, and I started my training right away. I had saved up some money um, and applied uh, for the Babomia training, which was around four to five months long. It's based in Canada, but it's like um, online learning. Um, and I did that while my daughter was still under a year old. 
and it was great. And I've been working ever since. That was last year in uh, September 2019. I think that's a really interesting path that you don't hear about a lot because the, that your parents were maybe a lot more excited about a music uh, education than yeah. um, med school. Uh, I think we usually hear the, the, the opposite. opposite. This, uh, yeah, I was um, going to make the same <laughs> comment, actually. I was going to say, like, it's it's a bit strange because in Egypt, usually parents are more like, oh, go to med school because that's you should become a doctor mm-hmm. because that's, you know, the best thing to do. <laughs> it's usually the opposite. That's true. <laughs> oh, no, they, they've always been extremely, extremely supportive of my music since I was very young. So they're like go for it do it <laughs> <laughs> i think that's really nice um so so with your work in um in women's health and um not exactly sexuality but women's uh, sex ed maybe um did did you have an ex- uh, did you have what am i trying to say did you have an open upbringing were your parents kind of were your parents open about uh talking about things like that when you were growing up or did you want uh, to give people that experience? I think, I think my upbringing was relatively open. I'm not going to say that my parents were like, uh, let's talk about sex. No, it wasn't like that. I think, uh, I think they were more like um, along the lines, you're going to find out eventually you're going to figure it out. You're going to research on your own. So it was kind of like, they knew that I would find my way into learning. So I never had a talk with my parents about my period or my sexuality or like even sex education in general, not even before I was getting married. So, um, so that never happened. These conversations never happened, um, which was it kind of left a lot for me. Uh, I was generally a very curious teenager. So I was reading stuff and we had the internet. So uh, I found my way around learning. And we took it, we took a class in school at some point, which wasn't very, uh, very insightful. But, um, but I just realized like a lot of women don't even have that curiosity or they have so much shame around sex and their bodies that they wouldn't even dare to research it. Um, so it kind of felt like it was, I don't know, maybe like a, an obligation from my end towards women. Like, you know what, let's talk about this stuff because it's natural and it's not shameful. It's not aib, um, to talk about this and understand these things because everyone's going to do it eventually. Everyone's going to experience it. And the more we know about our bodies, the more we know about sex, the better our sex lives um, will be once we get married. So the more we're in the dark, the more women are put to shame, um, or made to feel like they're, um, not, uh, what's it called? Like not pious enough. Um, because they ask these questions, the more they will end up suffering, um, down the line in their marriages and their sex life. Right. So that's actually very interesting. And also I wanted to, to kind of ask, like going back to, to, to being a doula specifically, um, how has it been like so far working with, uh, Egyptian women? Because I feel like, 
generally speaking, um, people in Egypt aren't don't really aren't super aware of what a doula is or you know like most people are raised to just know one method of birth you know what I mean like just go to the doctor go to the hospital uh take the yeah. meds do the c-section all of that like sort of known process so I don't know has has there been kind of like do you feel as though there's more of a yeah. general awareness as to uh other types of births that uh, women are now exploring or uh, I don't know, like, is, can you give us a little bit more insight um, as to how it's been like, especially since you started working as a doula in Egypt and working with Egyptian women? So let's say that the majority of women are still uh, with the mindset of like the doctor knows best um i'll just leave things up to him or her to decide uh most women don't have this awareness or understanding and won't bother researching about their births because um they just think that yeah birth is birth i'm just going to go he he or she is going to do whatever it is that he needs to do to get the baby out and that's it um the ones I end up working with the women I end up working with are the ones who are actively seeking another route. So I'm never going to realistically speaking, the women who reach out to me are not going to reach out to me because they want to have a C-section. They're going to reach out to me because they want a, a supportive doctor. Um, B they want to try for a natural physiological birth um without medication or maybe with medication but they do want a vaginal birth and they understand the benefits of a natural birth versus the risk of a c-section and they've gone through the trouble of searching actively for a doctor who supports having a doula at the birth because most doctors in egypt refuse like head-on refuse to have a doula present and that's been the biggest issue um between me and women women who want to hire me but their doctors refuse to have me present and so the woman has to choose like do i switch doctors or do i stick to my doctor and not have a doula and most cases they stick to the doctor and um they let go of the idea of having a doula which is very sad um because uh, doulas are scientifically like medically speaking the single best investment you can make for your birth. We reduce having continuous support during your birth will reduce the risk of a C-section by up to 38%. It will reduce the risk of, or the likelihood that you'll need pain medication. It will generally improve your uh, overall mood, your experience in general, how you feel about your birth by having a doula or continuous support um, during your birth. So I have worked with a lot of Egyptian women, but the Egyptian women that I've worked with were the ones who were actively seeking uh, doula care. So I can't really say what it's like for the rest of women. Uh, um, a lot of women hate on me. Uh, I get a lot of hate uh, on my page. And usually the women are either related to doctors or are doctors themselves who are like, what the hell are you doing? you're not a doctor, you shouldn't be giving advice, you shouldn't be like sharing medical information. Um, but 
it is what it is and change happens very slowly so here's to hoping yeah i think i think there's a lot of potential and on that do you feel any improvement in sex ed in egypt in the last couple of years or even just the last year no i i can't say that there is an improvement because um it doesn't really exist like apart from my platform and a few others um it's not something that's widely discussed uh or talked about i am um finishing my training um end of uh, or like by mid december um to like be uh, an accredited um relationships and sex educator um just because uh, it was just the logical step for me to do like just being a doula wasn't enough i just really needed to add that extra layer to be able to offer more classes um for everyone um who needs help or needs to learn more about their bodies and their um and their sexual health but i i don't know if there's an improvement but there's definitely a, a thirst or a hunger for knowledge definitely this year what do you think are maybe concrete steps that we can all take to, to improve this on an individual basis rather than an institutional basis because not everyone has of course access to that um well i can't really say how because um it would need a lot of work from schools from universities from um government um entities that want to talk about this but i don't i don't see it happening soon um i think people who follow a page like mine um are there for a reason they have the curiosity and they have the willingness to change uh, their mindset and i think they'll take this knowledge and they'll pass it on to their circle and their circle will pass it on to the outer circle and then change will start to happen so when a woman or a girl attends my let's say the periods uh cycle awareness class she leaves having learned things that she would have never known about her body she'll go on and talk to her sister her mother her friends her cousins and then word is going to start spreading and people are going to start learning more and understanding more the need for this type of education great so there's hope to an extent hopefully that's what i'm doing <laughs> thank you so much for um for letting us talk to you for this interview and sharing all this very helpful information with us and of course for your very community based work that you do and you help women every day one more question where can people find you online so uh your instagram username website so i'm most active on instagram uh my tag is at this is mother being uh my website is www.thisismotherbeing.com and if you have questions about services you can reach me on this is mother being at gmail.com wonderful thank you so much it was lovely speaking to you nur thank you That concludes today's episode. Thank you so much to our guest Noor Imam for joining us today and my co-host Mary Arvanis. Mary, what did you think of today's uh, guest on uh, today's podcast? 
Um, you know, it was it was a really interesting uh, podcast, and I think it it's really important also to to talk about the the topics that Noor basically uh, tackles through her platform. So I think it was really interesting talking to her and getting to know more about how she balances everything she does uh, with being. Uh, a, a stay-at-home mom as well, basically, because I think anyone who's who's a new mom, especially they they are fully aware of how uh, difficult it can get and how busy they mm -hmm. can get all of a sudden. So uh, I'm sure it's it's a lot doing that, being a mom, and then also trying to help, you know, other moms and trying to help uh girls in general so i don't know what what did you think as well i loved i loved how she was talking about what she does as like a as a given thing like she wasn't talking about it as this like amazing miraculous thing that she's doing even though it is incredible especially in the society that we live in but i loved how she was talking about it like like this is what I can do. And um, she said something like, uh, what am I going to like remember when I'm old and gray that I did, even though she had this like wonderful music career and um, she decided to yes. do something that she knows would benefit people. Yes, definitely. But I, I'm amazed that I, I got to find out what she did before this, which was mm -hmm. that she studied music and she was working in music. So that, that to me was surprising, but it was like, it was kind of like a pleasant surprise, you know, because you mm -hmm. never know you, <laughs> the <laughs> backgrounds of people, you know. So yeah. and I love that. And I love how she sort of transitioned like from, OK, I already studied something that was kind of maybe in Egyptian society, not very conventional. And then I decided, you know what? Uh, no, I kind of want to go more into. Sorry, that was my cat. Uh, <laughs> she's like, no, I sort of want to go more into educating women and helping women. So I love that. And it is something amazing. And I do love the fact that she's very kind of like matter of fact about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, I would have guessed she studied like biology, medicine, something like that. But exactly. Uh, it's it's great inspiration also for people that want to shift careers like like I know she's quite young but even like uh, regardless of age like you can you can always switch careers to something that you like and maybe she'll go back to music eventually or maybe do both or you never know but uh, having that yeah. opportunity to do what you like um, whenever you want is uh, is really great definitely I agree yes yeah I, I think that's it for today. Uh, thank you all for listening and see you next. See you soon. <laughs> Egyptian Streets is a podcast produced for the independent online publication at EgyptianStreets.com. The show is edited and produced by Noron Morsi. Production support from the Egyptian Streets team. Our theme music is The Zeppelin by Blue Dot Sessions. Tune in to the Egyptian Streets podcast every other Sunday and don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. I'm Noron Morsi. <laughs>